0: So we are finishing up. This is the last one. I know for some of you are going, yay, finally, six weeks of, fo- of, uh, of extreme influence. Let's see if that works for you. Um, okay, let's find out. So um, so let's dig into that in, in, in just a moment. So I, before we hit the content, I want to know if you're familiar, I bet you are, with this word right here, FOMO. Anybody know what that stands for? You can Say it out loud. Fear of missing out. And the interesting thing about that that word right now um, is that I used to think that, that FOMO was like something that only I in this entire world recognized because I was a youth pastor and I would do events. In fact, it still works for all of you. I do events, and some of us don't sign up for whatever. Oh, that's going to be awesome. It's going to be great. Do you want to sign up? No, I don't want to sign up yet. Well, why not? Because well, if I sign up then I'm committed to go do that, but what if something better comes up, right? So many of you haven't signed up for the canoeing yet and the barbecue because you wanted to know that you know, like, you were, the opportunity of your life wasn't going to happen and you couldn't go or be a part of something else. It's even more fun. And now you know it will never happen. It was just, nothing's more fun than that event. So so that's kind of what, where it starts with all these youth were doing this delay thing to me. And then, I, 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 you know, it just kind of works out. By the way, it's more than it's more than just a cute phrase, you know, that that people say a conacronym, it's actually a recognized psychological condition now. That people are living with this anxiety, and the way you know them is they check their phones every two minutes to make sure something exciting, they're not missing out. And the problem with that is they see what all of their friends are doing, and they feel like they're missing out because they weren't included or invited, and so they feel bad about themselves. Now, here's the good news from a pastoral standpoint. I don't usually have it. I don't usually suffer from it, but I can as I think about my life when i felt that way. It's, it's when we get to holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas where there's food involved. Right? And The reason why is because there's been two times on Thanksgiving when I've gotten really, really sick and I've had to lay in my bed with a bucket, right? And, but, but the smells come down the hall during Thanksgiving. This is Thanksgiving. I'm missing out on the meal. The smells come down. The, the laughter, the joy, the fun without me. And then, so every time there's like getting near your Thanksgiving I have this little oh God, I don't wanna get sick this year. And man, that was stupid, but it still goes through my head. In fact I don't suffer from FOMO very much, but I do suffer from fumo. Now you're gonna already you're working on it, I know, right? And that's good. You work on that. Don't say it out loud if you figure it out. At the end of the message, I'm going to tell you what FUMO is, and, and then you can pray for me because that's what I suffer with. We're finishing tonight's message on extreme influence. Real quick review. This is about as quick as I can go. We've said from the beginning, it's human nature to desire to influence others, right? Especially people that you care about. You, you know, if you want to influence them. You want to help them. You want to make their lives better. We said the starting place for influence is love. And then without love, just give it up. You won't be a positive influence in someone's life. We said love is indispensable, but love is not enough. We require some other things like integrity. And, and, and it's going to cost us something. It's going to be inconvenient. And the inconveniences show up in, in how we spend our time and speaking some things out loud and risking rejection and then serving other people. And that those, those things will help navigate us into the sea of inconvenience so that we can actually influence people. And it's actually, when you think about it, it's exactly what Casey's doing. right? she's She's has a love for people she hasn't even met yet. right? She's guarding her integrity, being the young person, follower of Christ that she is. And she's about to be extremely inconvenienced by leaving, living in a foreign land, away from her family, for everybody's being inconvenienced on that. But why? Because she wants to, people she doesn't even know yet, she wants to reach them and be a part of their lives. Now, today's message is this. So now we know a lot of the dynamics of it. Why is this such a big deal? And the answer is it's a big deal because we care, because we have compassion. And if you don't have compassion, then maybe it's not that big a deal. Maybe if you go, you know what, I'm just going to live my life, get everything I can, and die at the end, because all there is to life is eat, drink, and be merry, and the number one person is me, if that's your narcissistic view of the world, then you, then you probably don't care about influence. And I'm sorry. But, but if you have compassion, if there's people you love and care about, then that desire to be a positive influence in their lives goes up. And for those of us in the room who have embraced God's love and his leadership, the question I have is how can we not care? I, mean, I know we're not all going to go, you know, to the Arabian Peninsula. But how can we not live our lives differently? How can we not care about people? We're followers of Christ, right? And if that doesn't include you, then you can listen from the inside, from outside the inside, sort of a, a moment. But sometimes I have people come up to me and they'll say, "You know, Doug, I know you're a pastor, and it's usually not you guys who ask this question. It's usually people from outside in my past more than anybody." And they go, it's like, why do you follow Christ? Why do you follow Jesus? And I never have to open my Bible. I never have to think very hard. I basically have four answers. I haven't memorized them. They just come out of me, and I, and I kind of categorize them. So here's, here's the four things I say when people ask me that question. I say, you know what? My life is better under his leadership. Candidly, life is better under God's leadership. I've tried it under my leadership. I've seen how it goes when I'm in charge and I keep God at a distance. Mind your own business, God. I'll do things my way. And I'm telling you, my life is just better in every every way I can imagine. I'm not saying I'm richer financially, but I'm saying it's better. My life has meaning with God. When when I was walking, living my life without God, I didn't know who I was, why I was here. It was just really trying to consume and try to be happy and and I felt so much emptiness. But with God, I know who I am. And I found meaning for my life. And it's not being a pastor. It's found in being in my relationship with God. Whether I'm a pastor or not isn't the issue. Right? That's, that's why Merv can leave the role of being a pastor and not leave ministry. Right? It's why all of you can be in ministry but not be a pastor. It's kind of a, kind of a, because meaning isn't found in titles or positions and organizations, means found in our relationship with God. Thirdly, I'm a follower of Christ because eternity is the promise. And I've always had this thought from the time I was a kid, this cannot be, this life we live cannot be all there is. It's just, I have an inward sense, and this isn't this isn't scientific, It's not. I'm not going to show you a verse or anything like that, but I'm just going to tell you, I, I've always had a gut-level conviction that death is not the end. That this life is meant to be, to be more, and it's never left me. I've, In my darkest moments, when I think about, okay, so is there such a thing as non-existence? Either I'm too naive to admit it, too needy to need eternity, and some of you will take that position, or there's something inside of every single person saying, come on, this can't be all there is. It can't be. There's got to be more. The last reason I'm a follower is because I believe in Jesus. And when I say that, it's, not, it's, it's this. I believe when I read through what Jesus said, what he did, I'm convinced it's truth. Just my own search, my own conviction inside, I have this inward conviction that it's, that it's true. And this has a lot to do with, with my desire to be an influence in the world. Right? But let me take you to a couple of passages. We're going to look at two passages again tonight, and then we're going to ask a couple questions, and we'll, we'll be done. So Isaiah 25 holds part of the answer why influence is such a big deal. And it's 12 verses... In Isaiah chapter 25. And um, you'll kind of get a sense of, of, of when this took place, especially if you were here last week. So what you need to know is these 12 verses are actually three different kinds of scripture, for lack of a better word, or genre, if you like that word of scripture. It sounds like you're a lot more smart when you use the word genre instead of kinds. But here's the first one. The first five verses basically are a psalm. Like when you open the book of Psalms, it's like praising God for his power. And the point, we're not going to look at the five verses, but the point of those five verses is, God, you are here, you've always been here, and after we're all dust, you're still here. After, after all the cities are gone, you're still here. The last two verses are a prophecy against a country of Moab. And, and in Moab, they worship the false god, uh, an idol named Shemosh. That's probably not how you say it, but you don't know that, so we're okay. Right? Worshippers of Shamash. And then, in that country, Moab was a threat to Israel and to Judah. Right? In fact, if you look at a map and you look at all the countries that surrounded the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah, all of those countries were threats. These guys were, have always been surrounded by enemies. And they were a threat not only from a military standpoint, but also from an influence standpoint. There were places where they were worshiping Shamash in Israel and in Judah and part of that worship was was child sacrifice right which is ah you know to the, the Jewish people that that it never should have happened but that's only one little part of how bad it was the main thing they were leaving the god who saved them who led them who gave them their land to worship fiction shamash right and so the, the 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 prophet Isaiah gives this two verses of judgment against Against um, this Moab, and it basically it just comes down to this: God will bring justice to oppressive nations and people. Moab is just one example, but that's kind of the promise and the theme. Come on, God's going to trust Him, people. God will bring justice. Now, so there you have the two two sections. There's a middle section I'm not telling you about yet. The psalm and the prophecy for Moab, the current enemy of Israel. In the middle is an eschatological, eschatological let's get it right, eschatological promise. Right? Now I can't use a word, I can hardly say a word like eschatological, so I can't use that word without giving you some definition of what we're talking about because for some of you it's familiar and for some of us it's unfamiliar. So let me just make, put us all on the same page. Eschatology is a part of theology concerned with death, judgment, and the final destiny of the soul and of humankind. And, and scattered throughout scripture, and there's some books like Revelation. the book of Revelation is, is eschatology, the book of Daniel has large sections, but in other parts there's... Here and there, anytime it starts talking about those topics in the future, far away or seemingly far away when it's written, it's called eschatology. That's an eschatological passage. Okay, now there's another word that comes from the same Greek word called scatological, right? And some of you know what scatological. It's dealing with feces, right? So the, re- the words are related, right? But let's use feces, let's use scatological in a sentence. Uh, the seventh grade boy humor is often scatological in nature, right? That would be uh, the, the essence of the of the word of the of the Greek word right so eschatological versus scatological they're not the same thing one refers one refers to matters at the end the other to matters from the end okay <laughs> some of you are never coming back to this church um they leave right when i even say it. all right so so here's that's the difference right you'll never now you will always know what eschatology is and some of you learn what scatology but But there's some things in common, too, amazingly enough, right? Both require careful handling. (laughs) Or things can get embarrassingly messy, right? So so when you come across a passage, I'll let you work on the scat part yourself. When you're working with eschatological verses, right, you have to be really careful about the conclusions you come to. And when I say embarrassing, anybody remember Christians saying, you know, on a certain day, the world's going to end. It's all coming to an end. Those kinds of, and they say it to the whole world and Christians are saying this. And then you get to that day and shoot, we're still here. Right? And, and, And that's embarrassing. It's embarrassing to Christians when we start saying too much about stuff we really don't understand. And when we read eschatological verses, we have to have a sense of humility. So we're about to read some and you'll see why it's, You'll see right away why it is a future thing, not a then thing for Isaiah. So here's what Isaiah is writing about about the end. He says in Jerusalem, verse six the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. Has that happened yet? No. For all the peoples of the world in Jerusalem to gather together with the Lord's armies, the Lord's angels, to have a feast that hasn't happened yet. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meats. meat. So, so what he's pointing to is it's going to be this community banquet type of event in the area of Jerusalem. And I don't think this is a geographical issue. And I don't think it's a food issue or a banquet issue. I think it's a picture of what God is going to do with all people. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth right, up to this point in time before Christ, there was no solution for death. There was no hope. It was just, just gloom. He will swallow up death forever. Do you see how this reads differently than other parts of the Bible? The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. That, that verse is almost word for word in the book of Revelation, chapter 21. He will wipe away every tear. He will remove forever all the insult and mockery against his land and the people. The Lord has spoken. You can count on it is what that means. Thus saith the Lord. In that day the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation he brings. All right, so now I'm not going to draw a whole lot of conclusions from this, but let me just make three. At the end there will be an eternal feast. It's going to be a, it might be a picture of what that looks like. There might be literal food. I don't know, I'm not there yet, but there's going to be this gathering of people like a feast. Every nation will be there, but not everyone will be there. right So what's the defining issue? What's, who's going to be there and who's not? And the defining issue will be trusting, turning to and trusting in God. That's the issue. As an individual, have you have you turned to and have you trusted in God? And that's what Isaiah is saying. In that day, the people will proclaim: These are the people at the banquet. This is our God. We ter- we turn to Him. We trusted Him, and He saved us. Right? I think the banquet imagery is a picture of security when you're at this kind of banquet. Prosperity. We, you know, usually when you're at a banquet, you're not worried about there's enough to eat. Usually there's way more than enough to eat. We're, it's a prosperous moment of community because you don't do a banquet by yourself. Right? Hey, you're in a big room and you're there alone and what are you doing? I'm having a banquet. No, you're not. You're just overeating, right? This is, this is, that's different, right? So there's something about a banquet where it's together, community. And then there's always, almost at every banquet, there's a spirit of gratitude, I mean, that's the Thanksgiving banquet we hold in our homes, or together. It's, it's about gratitude. And here's why I bring that up, because I want to connect Old Testament and New Testament again. Because Jesus used the exact same imagery to describe heaven in Luke chapter 14. And these are the verses that I want us to look at tonight. Let me just give you the quick outline of Luke 14. Jesus um, is at a banquet sponsored by Pharisees. There's a lead Pharisee who's hosting it. When he gets there, this is on the Sabbath, he actually heals somebody, and that's a big deal. You can read about that for yourself. Then he gives advice to the who's who, because it's all the important people. And when they come, they're all looking for the best seat. Like, am I going to be more important if I sit here, or more important? They're there to be seen. So he kind of confronts them about that. And then he gives advice to his host, and that's where we're going to pick it up in verse 12. He, then he turned to his host, Jesus turned to the host, and he said, when you put on a luncheon or a banquet, he said, don't invite your friends, brothers, relatives, or rich neighbors Basically, he's saying, don't invite everybody who's in your class, who's like you. For they will invite you back, and that will be your only reward. Instead, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Instead, go to the least of these, is what he's saying. Invite, include other people who aren't like you, who you don't even think are as, as well off as you, maybe not as educated as you, maybe not as, in your mind even as good as you are. Invite them. And then at the resurrection, now he's going to the future, at the resurrection of the righteous, God will reward you for inviting those who could not repay you. Right? This, this is what a follower of Christ should do, is care about those people. Okay, Now, that's just background still. I'm not even going to dig into that at all. The next part is where we're going to turn a corner here. Hearing this, a man sitting at a table with Jesus exclaimed, What a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God! Right? This is a guy that's like Tourette's all of a sudden from nowhere comes up, right? It's like, we were having a conversation and you just shouted that out? Yeah, what a blessing it will be to attend a banquet in the kingdom of God. The reason it's important to understand that is because the idea of a banquet in the kingdom of God that we read about in Isaiah 25 is now a common thought among the Jewish people. So when they hear banquet connected to the kingdom of God, they're thinking about the eternal resurrection of the dead. They're thinking about heaven about this connection. So what a blessing it's going to be to be in heaven at the banquet, the kingdom of God, that time period. And so Jesus replies with a story, because that's Jesus. He just does this. He said, A man prepared a great feast and sent out many invitations. When the banquet was ready, he sent his servant to tell the guests, Come, the banquet is ready. Right? So this guy is sponsoring a party, a banquet. And he's inviting all his friends. But they begin making excuses. One said, I have just bought a field and must inspect it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five pairs of oxen and I want to try them out. <laughs> so Sounds to be like a motorboat, right? I just bought a boat. I want to try it out. You're trying out oxen. I'm not sure what that looks like. So I want to try them out. Please excuse me. So he's getting no, I just got new cattle. I'm not going. The other one, I just bought some land. I'm not going. Another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Right? He didn't even say I'm sorry. He just I can't. You know, I mean, she won't let me. It's already started, right? <laughs> kind of a moment. Now, every time I read this story that Jesus told, every single time I t- I have a song going through my head. Do any of you have that song going through your head right now? Cool. Here's the song. I cannot come. I cannot come to the banquet. Don't trouble me. Oh, it goes on. <laughs> right? So so whenever I tell that, this learned song I learned in Sunday school. Merv, I showed it to me. he goes, I never heard that song in my whole life. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like the song that never... Anyway, it's awful. We changed the words when I was a kid. So instead of I've bought me a... Let's say I've married a wife and bought me a cow, we changed it to I've married a cow and bought me a wife or something. It was bad. <laughs> It's what kids do. But it goes through my head, so if you need to learn a song to memorize scripture, that's there. That was for free. <laughs> um, verse 21. The servant returned and told the master what they had said. I can't come. I can't come. I'm not going to come. She won't let me. His master was furious. By the way, anger is a sign of fear or frustration, right? So this, this rage, this furious part, he's frustrated, right? Wouldn't that be the natural? I invited these people. They're all saying no. No. And so he said, go quickly in the streets and the alleys of the town. Invite the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Invite those people I didn't invite in the first place, kind of kind of a moment here. After the servant had done this, he reported, there's still room for more. Right? So he goes out and gets everybody he can, there's still room for more. So his master said, go out even farther to the country lanes behind the hedges, and urge anyone you find to come so that the house will be full. Do you hear the heart of the master? He just wants every chair filled. He wants capacity, maxed out capacity. He wants a full room. And he said, "For none of those I first invited will get even the smallest taste of my banquet." Why? Because they wouldn't accept the invitation. They didn't want to want to come. So Jesus' point, we're all invited but we all, won't all be there. Now, let me ask you a question. You heard the story before, probably. It's this, it's this banquet picture. It's revealing what God is doing in our, in our world, what he wants in our world. right? So who were the heroes in Jesus' story? My, my way of thinking is the host and the servant were the heroes. right? The host for throwing the banquet, the servant for going to get them. So I know, and you probably forget, the host is sort of a caricature of God. right I think it broke God's heart by the way when, when people say no to him. I don't think he's like, oh, I don't want him anyway. I don't think that's a, the right picture. It's a caricature, but, but it's frust- it's got to be frustrating. The host is, is God. He's the one who said the banquet and invite everybody. So who's the servant? I want to take a stab at that? My first inclination was to say, we are. I think that's the wrong answer. I think the answer is, it's Jesus. Jesus was giving a picture of what he was doing when he came to earth. He's talking to the Pharisees when he tells the story. He goes, I went to the people and to invite them to the banquet... And you guys have said no and now you're wondering why do I eat with that person and reach out to that person and this low life and you, you criticize me for the very people I, and I've told you over and over again that the Son of God came to seek the lost. Not those who don't think they need a doctor but those who know they need one because they're sick. And he said that over and over again throughout his, his ministry and that's what he's doing. He's going everywhere to influence people back to God to the banquet. That's his mission the host is God, the servant is Jesus, and we are the ones who have been invited. And some of us, and I hope this includes you, have said, yes, that's what I want. Now, I want you to picture yourself as the servant for a moment. If you invited somebody and you, you were trying to fill up a room and they said, okay, I'll be there, what would you tell them next besides like, okay, the date, the time, the place? What would you tell them next? Wouldn't it be By the way, go invite your friends. Spread the word. Get as many people as you can. Join me as inviting. My master, he wants everybody there. He wants everybody we can get. So invite your family, your friends, your relatives, your neighbors, everybody you can. And I think that's exactly what God has called us to do. Now we're the ones doing the inviting. And from a a Christian standpoint, I know everybody in the world wants to influence. One way or another, other people. But those of us who are followers of Christ, we've been entrusted to invite people, to influence people. And we have been left here on earth primarily for this one purpose of reaching people who are far from God. So what's at stake? Why is this important? What's at stake is the guest list. Who ends up at the banquet? And I don't know why, but I think God has said, I'm I'm partnering with you so that we reach out, so that we live these kinds of lives, so that we serve each other, give time. And our primary goal is not to make this life more comfortable for other people, although we do. And God's wisdom is great. It makes my life better. The primary goal is still to fill a banquet room. All right, who knows what FUMO stands for? What is it? Absolutely. Fear of others missing out. At my best, that's what drives me. At my be- When I'm at my best, sometimes I'm like, oh no, fear of Doug missing out, guy. I don't want to be that guy. I want to live my whole life with God. I want to help other people not miss out on what I found in you. I want them to experience the richness of your leadership, the joy of your love, the purpose and meaning of their lives, their their identity, and I want them to have a future because this is not it. This is not the end. There's more, and a lot is at stake. So I going to close the service with just two questions. The first one is this: is, is you have you trusted Jesus? Have you heard this invitation to come to a banquet with Christ for eternity? That you get you are on the guest list, but will you? Say yes. And if there's some reason, I don't know what it is. I'm too busy with my business. I'm too busy. I'm focusing on my marriage right now. My kids have problems. All the excuses that Jesus is kind of pointing out. And you missed the banquet because you bought oxen and you got a business to run. I'm just, I have a fear of others missing out. Please don't miss out on this. You can come as long as you want, checking it out, praying through it, thinking through it. I'm not saying you've got to make any decision tonight, but don't miss out on this. Give God every single chance. Start reading the Bible. Start asking questions. Start learning. Start growing. And when you're ready, then start praying and trusting and turning to God. Right? All those reasons that my life is better, I want those for you. Some of you are going, yeah, that, that is me. That's me too. And some of you are thinking, it's not me yet. It could be. You could have all the things that anyone gets out. I just don't want you to miss out on that. Second question is, or the first question was, have you trusted? But the second one is, for all of us who are followers of Christ, will we beat the bushes? I love that. Go behind the hedges. Beating the bushes for people. They're walking the alleys for people. They're crossing the street for people. Will we do that? Will we be inconvenienced for others will we influence and invite others to God and and we do it as a team at crosswinds you know I mean I hope this tour, church is a tool for you to help influence others to Christ so if we're going into this context of the whole series it says will we love will we guard our integrity if there's something going on in our lives that we know doesn't stand up before God will we will we deal with it to protect our ability to influence and to be the people that God wants us to be in this world will we step into inconvenience and give away our time that you'll never get back and say something even though you might be rejected and serve others even though it's inconvenient and it means you can't serve yourself at the same time will we will we do that what's at stake is that room those empty chairs. Who will be sitting in them? And we get a chance to help fill that room. That's why influence is so important. If you missed a message, I want to encourage you to go back and listen to it. Pray your way through it. And in the bottom, I, I hope at the end you can pray, God, I want to be a person you use for influence. That's Casey's heart. Couldn't she hear it? She, can you imagine Casey 20 years from now? we got to have her back, I think. You know, and Hey, Casey, what happened the last 20 years? Maybe we'll get her back before that. Let's pray. God, I want to be quiet just for a moment in case someone in this room needs to pray to you, to turn to you, to trust you. Jesus, I thank you that my life is so much better with you. I know your forgiveness. I know your leadership. I have a glimpse of who I am and a glimpse of who you are and a glimpse of why I'm here. And one day at a time, I sense you changing and leading me and using me. And God, I pray that you will use me to influence others I haven't even met yet. And that we as a church will be a a people who are always seeking to influence, to invite. And God, I pray that when we get to that that banquet, there'll be a big section um, filled with people who were reached by people of Crosswinds. And yeah, we want the whole room filled by everybody, but God, we want to, we want to live with the fear of other people missing out, and we want to make a difference, and we want to have an influence. And we're so grateful. God, help us to live as people with a promise and people with hope. In Christ's name, amen.